beautiful song captures a lot of what we're talking about this morning. We'll have a scripture reading after we hear from uh, Grace Along the Journey. And uh, I've said it before about him, I'll say it again. Some people just ooze goodness. And Stephen Ray is somebody uh, called Stevie Ray by no, one of us. But uh, anyway, uh, Stephen uh, and I and some people um, were exposed again to really the truth that, that Brian and Keith just sang about. Uh, we just got back from a mission trip in South Africa, and we just wanted to have someone who went on the trip uh, to share a little bit about uh, their experience just for a brief time, and Stephen uh, was just awesome. It was fun seeing. He was the kid magnet uh, at Overcome Heights, and it was just wonderful. So, Stephen, thanks for being here, and you were awesome on that trip. So when I told Rebecca that Jim asked me to speak on South Africa, she laughed at the idea of me being able to condense the whole trip to five minutes. Partially just because of how my brain works, but primarily there's just so much to talk about. God's timing on the plane rides, visiting two very different churches worshiping the same God, all the kids at Holiday Club, the strength of the LSEs who work the club, the home care nurses, the farm workers, the drug rehab participants, drug rehab leaders, and the safari. God showed up in all of them, but there just there isn't enough time for that. So I'm going to follow the Tarantino route and start with the ending, the safari. I'm so glad so many of you got that. Okay. So we rode through the Aquila Game Reserve and got to see some beautiful scenery that actually looks a lot like the American Southwest. We saw hippos, rhinos, wildebeest, zebras, and even rode alongside elephants for a bit. But the animals that fascinated me the most were the lions. Watching their huge, majestic frames amble around was just a sight to behold. They were all rescues, meaning they didn't have their hunting instincts honed like they should have. So the keepers fed them realistically to what they would eat. And I'm trying to keep sensitive stomachs in mind here. Um, we luckily got to watch and hear some of them eat. It was visceral. <laughs> it was guttural. It was raw, and it was beautiful. God's creation showed his power by doing exactly what he designed it to do. And, of course, that got me thinking, what are humans designed to do? Reading from Genesis 1.27, our goal, our purpose, is to bear God's image. And God is so much bigger than one than any image one culture can bear, much less any one person. However, when we bear the image that God has given us and begin to join together with other, especially different, image bearers, we start to see a hint of God's human mosaic. And we got to see a beautiful glimpse of that the very first Sunday we were there at Masapumalele Baptist Church in one of the townships. They had no microphones, no projectors, no lyric sheets, not even heating or AC. Just a lead singer, three backup singers, a preacher, and the Word of God. We sang for probably 20 minutes, interspersed with prayer, where everyone prayed their own individual prayers aloud. The pastor switched between English and Kosa, one of the languages in South Africa, and called on people to read scripture in, again, both English and Kosa. Despite all of that seeming disorganization, I felt the Spirit moving more in those moments than any other time on the trip. Because God proved that he is bigger than language. And though I didn't feel the spirit quite as much at the holiday club, I could definitely still see it working. We were in a township called Overcome, and the kids would come from shacks built from spare wood and sheet metal. 
usually with cardboard for insulation. The shacks comprise a city block's worth of space, periodically separated by car-wide dirt roads so people could at least drive home. The building we were in was a shipping container with windows and a wood floor, and the main play areas were a small open space right outside the container and the semi-busy road right outside of it. Even though they had so little, the kids still played all the games, sang with all their hearts, stayed engaged in the Bible stories, and even knew most of the answers. They didn't care where they come from, where they came from, what they had, or more often than not, what they didn't have. They were just happy to be loved, to have someone to play with, and to hear about God. And that's where the true rock stars shone. The LS, LSEs, or Life Skills Educators. These seven people were in charge of the games, the songs, the lessons, the food distribution, and the discipline of close to 200 kids and 60 teenagers. They essentially ran VBS for three straight weeks. And they didn't necessarily get a break when they went home. Many grew up in or lived in the same neighborhoods the holiday clubs were held in, so they directly understood what the kids were going through. One of the LSEs had even heard machine guns during a church meeting while we were there and found out that one of his friends, who was still a gang member, had been killed in that firefight. And he found this out literally right before we picked him up for the Holiday Club. The lady who told him walked away, and he got on the van to go to Holiday Club. His strength in God throughout that day and the rest of the week was just incredible. And the craziest part is that he doesn't want to leave his neighborhood. He knows that God has put him there for a reason, and he is happily bearing God's image to everyone around him. And that taught us that ministry is often messy, dirty, raw, real, and frankly, dangerous. It's getting right in the middle of everything so that people can see the image of God that you've been blessed with. We don't have a complete picture, so God reveals more of the mosaic with each person we come across. And there's a whole lot more of the mosaic be pieced together. And now that we're back, and anyone who's been on a mission trip can attest to this, now that we're back from the mission trip, the challenge is to remember that the trip is over, but the mission continues. Thank you. Good morning. We will be reading for, from Amos 5, 21 through 24, and I will be reading out of the I think this is a new international version. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice Roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. This is the word of the Lord. You're welcome to uh, refer to the outline uh, and what you were given if you would like to. And as you look for that, let me just thank you for your prayers for all of us uh, who went on this uh, mission trip. It was an amazing time. Uh, Stephen, you did a beautiful job of capturing a lot of what came to mean uh, a lot to us. Uh, I, I can think of two major themes uh, that, that, that kind of define 
the trip for me, and I could, I could whittle it down to two words, shacks and water. Uh, when we first arrived, John and Avril Thomas wanted uh, some of the guys to construct a simulated shack, which we found very interesting and, and uh, very creative. But the thing is, they are going to have a visitor center at the headquarters of Living Hope, and uh, they, they're going to have a coffee shop there. But the first room you go into is, is going to be this simulated shack, and it was fascinating. They, they got us uh, rusty, rotting, uh, corrugated sheet metal, much like people have uh, in the townships uh, that they reside in, and, and a lot of their homes are about this size, sometimes smaller. This is one of those uh, uh, selfie stick things Brooks had. Brooks' core, by the way, is a beast when it comes to uh, handyman stuff. Bobby is too. Where Bobby... Bobby got after it. Uh, Charles was great. I, I nodded a lot and grinned and uh, uh, fetched things, and I did a little bit of stuff too, but, but it was just an amazing time. We took a couple of days to put that together, and uh, they were very grateful for that. And, and again, that's going to be the first stopping point for anybody who comes to Living Hope to consider ministering for them or raising money for them, whatever it might be. So shacks. But then there's water. And there was one day toward the end of the week where John Thomas was emphatic about wanting as many of us who could go to go see this water purifier. And this is important. This is one of two water purifiers that was still at a plant in Capricorn Township uh, that uh, we were responsible basically for helping them purchase. And there was one other uh, important thing about it that I'm going to share a little bit later. But John was really excited. Some of us were like, okay, John, we're glad. And he, come on, jump in the picture with me. And we were like, no, it's, it's good. But he wanted to be in it to show his thing. So there's John Thomas and one of the two purifiers. Now, the reason this was so important, some of you remember that when John came and spoke here uh, uh, a few months back, he was talking about the, the terrible drought in Cape Town. It is the worst drought in over a century. I checked last night, the dam levels there right now are at 16% of what they should be. Uh, some people are even talking about a day zero where they might run completely out of water. So it's a very frightening time, imagining not, imagine not having uh, access to water. Uh, what's cool, though, is uh, on the Living Hope uh, campus, they have two wells there uh, from which they can draw, and because of these two purifiers... Uh, they're going to have water available there, not just to consume, but for the crops there at the agribusiness stuff that they have, and uh, where they train up people to, to have jobs and everything. And uh, I asked the guy who uh, uh, put together these purifiers and everything, you know, how clean will the water be regardless? And he said, it'll be cleaner than bottled water, which is really cool. And, and John says we have Brookwood to thank for that, so I'm grateful for the part you have played as well. So shacks and water, and then I guess I could put it a different way, and I didn't take a picture of this because I didn't think I should, but as I visited a shack one day, um, you know, some of the shacks there are built in a way where water just leaks in if it's raining. And so I was in one shack where actually there was a tributary of sorts, like a little drain that passes right through the middle of the shack. Imagine that, having a, you know, a, a, a drain, a tributary that runs right in the middle of your house. And, and because of how the house was built, they needed to have that, otherwise it would just flood the entire shack. And, and so in a way, those two images of shacks and water came together for me um, at that moment. And God reminds us then, it's one thing to stand in a simulated shack, 
It's another thing to leave an artificial edifice like that and go out there to the real shacks where there is real, real need. And people are waiting there for you and me. They're waiting for us to go from here in this room to there. And they're justified in waiting. They're justified in waiting. If we're real believers, are we going to stay shacked in and sheltered in a place like this, or are we going to go out where there is indeed terrible need? You know, are we going to be willing to leap into, let's say, the current of these waters of justice that Amos talks about so wonderfully? Which brings us to that wonderful, marvelous uh, verse uh, that Julie read just a moment ago. And I know a lot of times I will preach from the NLT, uh, but, but th- I'm going to go back with, with the New Revised Standard because it's old school and it's, it's Amos and it just comes out much more powerfully as many of us grew up with it. Amos 5.24, but let justice roll down like waters... And righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The key is for you and me, are we going to be willing to become a part of that current and jump in and go to those places that are dangerous and unnerving and uncomfortable? That's our question for today. Go into these awkward places. Because if you're not willing to do that, maybe this is too harsh. You know, what are we doing here? You know, are we just wanting to come here and acknowledge God, and that's great, and sing praises and all that, or we wanted to raise up our kids to be nice kids, wholesome kids, you know, there's charm school for that, and, you know, the question is, are you willing to come here and and not allow this just to be a simulated shack or sanctuary, but to get out there and mean business and follow Jesus' command to reach out to the poor and the dispossessed, those who have lived through their share of in justice. Well, God speaks through Amos, commanding us to jump into that current that carries you and me toward justice, even though there are going to be bumps along the way, even though it's going to be difficult along the way. And he gives us dire warning that if we don't do that and commit ourselves to that, some things occur that we don't want to occur. And that brings us to the outline. First of all, if we fail to stay in the current of God's justice, we will hear God's indictment. I'm going to go back to Amos 4, verses 1 and 2. First of all, this is Amos, the great prophet. He was a simple shepherd from Tekoa in the southern kingdom of Judah who traveled northward to an unfamiliar territory to condemn the people there for living in a way where they were just eye-blind and ear-deaf to the marginalized people, the poor people, the people who were facing injustice and oppression every day. And he goes to preach to them. He specifically goes to the city, the capital city of the northern kingdom of Samaria. (laughs) And he begins by indicting the women there. And folks, I'm just reading scripture. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. Uh, Cows of Bashan. Bashan was an area where cows were well-fed. I'm just going to, there you go. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on Mount Samaria. He's indicting the women in the capital city of Samaria who have it real cushy and are, in a sense, desensitized and indifferent to the need of the poor people among them. Hear this, you cows of Bashan, who are on Mount Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to their husbands, bring me something to drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness, this time is surely coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. Have a good day. And, and you know, and, and, and that's just him at the beginning of it. That's him just getting started. 
And what's fascinating to me is here he is prophesying to a nation, and more specifically to a city, that we might be familiar with. What do we know about Samaria? It was urban and suburban. It was large. It was affluent. And guess what? It was around 200 years old, uh, celebrating its bicentennial like we did back in 1976. And it was very religious. It was Bible Belt, okay? It was very religious, but we know what that can mean. And here they are, a young nation celebrating their bicentennial, and Amos comes and just louses things up. Really, he gets on them for not, as uh, Brian and Keith sang just a moment ago, not acting justly, as Micah says. And he comes down hard. Look, look at, uh, well, we talk about chapter 4, verse 1. Let's go to uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 7, getting close to our primary text. He says, ah, that you turn justice to wormwood and bring righteousness to the ground. That's a great word there for justice in the Hebrew. It's mishpah. It's a very practical term. It it reflects the practical carrying out of justice by the proper legal and economic systems. In other words, it's getting it done. It's carrying it out. It's not a lofty term. It's not a theoretical term. It's getting it taken care of. It's executing justice as God wants us to do. But what have the Sumerians done? Well, ah, that you turn justice to wormwood. What do we know about wormwood? It was the bitterest root that someone could place in their mouth, just horrible to the taste. You have turned the sweetness of justice to the bitterness of injustice and bring righteousness to the ground. You've trampled on it. You've twisted it into this bitter bitter entity, and you've trampled upon it. You've made it dirt. Now, can we do just the same? Maybe not in a bold way, maybe just by apathy just by kind of letting it go, compartmentalizing it. Along the way, I've heard people say, well, you know, Jesus said there'd always be poor people. And, and to use it almost as a rationalization that, you know, it justifies that I don't do so much on behalf of the poor. Really, do you think that's what Jesus says when you read the Gospels? Jesus said uh, uh, there will always be poor, if you read the next verse, but you will have me only for a short time. You'll only have me for a short time. I wonder if people who have that kind of mentality, who think they have Jesus... But just say, well, there's always the poor. I don't need to do anything. I wonder if they really have Jesus. And in a way, I wonder if, if, if Jesus, you know, I wonder if they know Jesus and I wonder if Jesus knows them because of their bold indifference. But, but I'll just stop there with that. But let me just say, God, help us when we become so used to coming here that we dull ourselves into a mere church culture, into a simulated shack, a simulated sanctuary. Robertson McQuilkin is a professor of missions, and he was visiting his son who ministers over in Calcutta. In fact, he, he ministers just down the road from where the Sisters of Mercy are, um, who uh, were founded by Mother Teresa. But he, his son is a missionary over there in that city of 15 million with one million people out on the streets. Think about that. One million homeless people. And he's out there ministering every day. Well, well, Dr. McQuilkin, when he came to see his son, he got a ride at the airport uh, from a fellow missionary who was there. And he sat in the back. And, and, and he was a, an international traveler. He was well-traveled. But he was just overtaken by the squalor of, of poverty that he saw and the sights of miserable people on the streets and the smells 
from sewage and, and, and other things. And, and, and he said it was just all over. And he said, tears just came to my eyes and I began to weep. And he said that the guy who was driving said, don't worry, Dr. McQuilkin, in a few days you'll get used to it. And the professor responded, that's exactly but what I don't want to happen. I don't want to get used to it. God help us when you and I get used to it. And sometimes we do. We, we turn a blind eye, a deaf ear to these needs. But, but we've got to stay in that current that leads us to those pathways of justice where we can share God's love even when it's not easy. You know, statistics can, can deaden our thinking. And you, you've seen that in certain studies. You know, we can look at statistics about the number of people starving, the number of people malnourished, the number of people dying of diseases that, that they don't have to die of. But it's another thing to go into a shack, so to speak, to follow that current to those uncomfortable, awkward places and see it up close and personal. And then it does get personal. God help us when we get too used to it. Secondly, if we fail to stay in the current of justice, we will hear God's rejection. And this is uh, quite outright. Let's look at verse 21. This gets into our focal text here. God says through Amos, I hate, I despise your festivals, your worship, and take no delight in your solemn assemblies. This is something God hates. Think about that. He hates worship rooted in hypocrisy. You know, what we say and sing and preach and read and pray together, and yet it's not consistent with what we are called to do out there. The word despise there, arika. In, in the Hebrew, it literally means I cannot stand the odor of. That's what it means. Your worship stinks. That's what he's saying. Can't stand the odor of it. Go to verse 22. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. He's not, he can't stand the sight, the smell of the worship that exudes this hypocrisy when it's not being taken out there. That which we claim we believe in here about Jesus and his word and his commandments, we're not taking it out there. He doesn't want to look at it. It's revolting to him. It's a flagrant abuse of worship because it doesn't translate to justice out there. Now, I want us to go back and look at verses 21 through 23 because notice how he is separating himself off from us when we fail to do what we are called to do out there in the mission field. Look at the number of yours, <laughs> and he's basically saying yours, not mine. I hate, I despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I won't accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. What's he saying? That's your worship, not mine. That's worship the way you want to do it. That's not the way I want you to do it. You know, you look at those in poverty, and, you know, he starts out saying, I hate, I despise your worship, your festival. And I thought about this while I was down in Cape Town. I thought, I wonder in a way, and I'm just, I'm musing here. This is not in the Bible. I'm musing. I wonder if in a way those who are in places of oppression and dispossession and marginalization, I wonder if in a way they are justified in saying that to us with that kind of intensity. I hate, I despise your worship because it's not really translated. I don't, I don't see it out here. I hear it in your sanctuary. I'm not seeing it out here. 
And I wonder if in a way they're justified. I'm just speculating here. I'm not quoting Scripture or anything, but I just wonder in a way if there's justification to that intense degree. John Thomas, when he talks about the origin of South Africa, and you've heard him talk about this many times, he heard about the percentage of people who were dying due to HIV-related illnesses. And, and he said, I was just suddenly struck. He said, I thought about having to answer to God one day. And I thought to myself, what would I tell him? Well, Lord, we had a wonderful fellowship the other night over at so-and-so's house. I uh, had a wonderful cell group meeting with this small group study the other day. We had wonderful worship last Sunday, and we sang our hearts out. We had a wonderful prayer time before the worship service. And he said it was as if God was saying, well, yeah, but <laughs> are you really knowing me as you should? And are you doing what I command you to do? You know, I hope... I hope we're not going to be the kind of people to whom Jesus says, you know, you never really knew me in the faces of the people who are my people who are in need out there. Inasmuch as you've done to the least of these you've done to me. Do you see my face in these dispossessed, raw, sometimes unkind people and are still willing to love them? Regardless of how they got to where they are, you know what? We're not responsible for this condition in which they find themselves. We are responsible for ministering to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. I I, I was so blessed by Tom and Marla Quartz. Um, I'd never really been familiar with the book by Henry Drummond, The Greatest Thing in the World, first published in 1880. And and I remember at the very end, it's all about love. The greatest thing in the world is love and being commanded to love. And right at the very end, he talks about Uh, uh, our acts of commission and our acts of omission. And he says, we're really going to be held accountable much more so not for our acts of commission, things we did, but our acts of omission, that which we did not do. So God help us if we start just kind of play at church. I hope we don't do that. Finally, if we fail to stay in the current of God's justice, we will hear finally what God's requirement, which brings us to the powerful verse that's so wonderful, verse 24 But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. This is a powerful image. In in, in Israel, you had these wadis, W-A-D-I-S. The wadis were these uh, riverbeds and valleys that were dry most of the the year, except during the rainy season. And and when when the rain would come down, it would just, you know, they were really subject to flash floods. And Amos is saying, I'm not looking for that kind of occasional justice, nor is God. God is looking for constant flash flood of justice, ever-flowing stream of justice. That's what we are called to do, and we are called to jump into that current and let ourselves be taken to those places where we bring wholeness to people who need it so desperately. Offering living water every day. And this is not a request. It is a requirement. It is a command. What's cool, though, is with this verse, rough as Amos has been, it's really a word of hope here. There's a hint of hope here that we can do something, it can be done, that we can bring living water to people. How do we start? Well, do something. Do something. Whether it's overseas or local. Some of us go overseas sometimes, that's great. Some people don't, they're not wired for that. We need you here. We need you at Truvine. Uh, or the firehouse shelter, or gosh, a myriad other things, the prison ministry that Gil Franks does. Uh, you know, we, we could go on and on and on. There are people here you can ask saying, okay, I was really offended by what Barnett had to say today. You know, what do I, give, tell me something I can do. And you can ask anybody on the church staff, who, who's on, is, is anybody in here on the missions committee? 
Stand up if you're on the missions. Stand up on your, if you're on the missions committee or on any of those teams, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and Israel. Just stand up, will you? Just, just for a second. You see these people? Uh, some of them look better than others. Char- <laughs> Charles, can you just sit down, please? No, no, no. <laughs> All right, sit down. Those people you can ask and say, okay, I'm not sure what I can do, but you know what? You can be inspired to do something. I, I don't know if Brad Key is here this. So Brad, are you here? Brad's not, Okay, he may not be here. Okay. It was really cool when John Thomas spoke, and he started talking about the drought down in the Fellowship Hall. This was a few months ago, I guess. And, and, and he started talking about how desperate the situation was, that they needed a water purifier and everything. And, and Brad Key, <laughs> great big guy, if you know Brad, as soon as the prayer w- was over, he goes bounding up to John. I mean, I think he knocked down a few chairs along the way. And went up to John and said, I never thought that what I do could be used for the kingdom. Well, Brad is in the water purification business. I remember asking him when they you know, started coming here, you know, what do you do? And he started to explain it, and I shook my head and grinned a lot. I just didn't understand what all he was saying. But he knows his stuff with that. And I wish Brad were here, but please be sure to tell him this. Because here's a guy that always wondered, could, could what I do as a vocation translate into something important. It was so cool to go to that plant in Capricorn Township for John to show us those two water purifiers. And at one point, he stopped and looked at me, and he said, and if it wasn't for that fellow in your church, and I was like, who? And finally, we realized he was talking about Brad Key. He said, Brad told us that we needed to do it this way, and we needed to have this there. If we had not, if he had not told us that, this whole thing would not have happened. Isn't that cool? There's a little conversation they had down in Fellowship Hall. Now, I'm at the tip of Africa, and John Thomas is saying, we're going to have water, clean water, no matter how bad the drought gets, because Brad Key said, he better do it this way. That's cool. Now, what gift do you have, or at least what interest, what desire? It doesn't even have to be a big talent. If it's just a desire you have, you can move it toward a gift as you work on it and develop it. Just do something. Now, I've got to talk about uh, when I felt finally in the current for the first time in a long time, uh, there was one morning where Charles and I uh, went on a health care walk is the best way to put it. Uh, He was assigned with two people. I was assigned with two people. And y'all, it's one thing to go to uh, the place where you work with the kids and holiday club and all that. And it's amazing. And our group who did that was amazing. That's the hardest work of the week. Um, but we had never really known much about the health care stuff. So Charles went with two people, and I went with two people, um, Alicia and a guy named Jason. This is Jason on the left. Alicia's a rock star, too. This is Jason on the left. Jason is 22 years old. Um, I have been impressed by... Uh, they're, they're, you know, as far as impressing me, he is right up there at the top. 22-year-old kid, but a 50-year-old soul. What did we do that morning? We walked the streets of Capricorn Township, going from shanty to shanty and and going to places, and and they give medical assistance to people. They're not physicians, but they can do certain things, and we would check on the blood pressure of some people, some people who had strokes. We would, you know, turn them in bed. The first uh, house we went to was a 70-year-old blind man in this small little shack, and we placed him in the tub and bathed him. And, And this kid, 22 years old, had this pastoral demeanor, the likes of which I haven't seen in in pastor's 
you know, 50, 60, 70 years old and just would speak soothingly to whoever it was. And I was most moved when we went uh, to the home of a young man, and, and I, I did not get involved with it, but I watched as they um, removed the bandage of a young man who was shot in the lower back by a gang member just for sport, and he is now paralyzed uh, from the waist down. And it was a horrible, gaping wound. And yet to watch this 22-year-old Jason just, just you know, gently uh, take care of the bandages and, and, and dress it and, and, and replace the bandage and speak soothingly to this guy who he couldn't have been 20. And, and you know, he's in a bed and, and, and he has a friend there who can get him into a wheelchair on occasion and he gets wheeled out now. And I thought... You know, I thought as I walked with them on those streets, I thought, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm finally in the current. And I asked myself, how do I do that back here? I just thank God that I had an opportunity to do something like that. And those of you who've been on mission trips know exactly what I mean, whether it's overseas or here. And you're in the thick of it. You're in the, 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 the bad smells of it. You're, you're into the, the uncomfortableness of it, the awkwardness of it, the unnervingness of it. And yet you know you are in the current of God's will at that moment. And he's taking you to places where you can be the kind of agent of justice that Jesus wants you to be. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> and yet we do have the good news. Amos was an intense prophet, but I think of another 8th century intense prophet named Isaiah. And I think about his wonderful prophetic word from chapter 7, verse 14. Yes, Stephen. There you go. The Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Think about the child, God's very son, who's born into this broken, uncomfortable, unnerving, dangerous world, and yet it is that very babe who wound up teaching us what justice is all about. It can happen. Justice can roll like waters. Uh, Stephen Ray, get, get that last one up there. Stephen, I think, took this picture at some place, maybe when we were coming back from the safari or something, and he and I were talking in the van, and he said, you know, I have a friend who loves clouds because he says, uh, you know, uh, I like cloudy days because even on cloudy days you can see the light of God coming through. And I thought about that. I thought about that. And, and you know, evil and apathy are obstructing how we can reach people imprisoned by injustice, but God's light can still shine through and the question for you and me is, are we going to let him shine through us? I grew up learning the Sunbeam song. How many, if you raise your hand, good Baptist. How many of y'all know the Sunbeam song? Learned it in GAs, RAs, whatever. What's the chorus? A sunbeam, a sunbeam. Jesus wants me for a sunbeam. A sunbeam, a sunbeam. What? I'll be a sunbeam for him. And for some reason, I started thinking about that when we were in that van, and I thought, you know, I want to think of that with the light of God shining through in spite of the evil and the apathy and the oppression and the doubts we can have about the, the, the power we have when we are empowered by God, and, and, and see the light of God, and I want to be a sunbeam, but I don't want that any longer to be an innocent song. I'd like for it to be a raw, radical roll up your sleeves and get dirty for the kingdom kind of song. 
So are you willing to be a sunbeam today to leave this place and take what we have talked about here from this book and from our Lord and live it out and let it shine out there even when it gets dark and cloudy? Let's pray together. Make us sunbeams of light, O God. Make us agents of your justice, helping to set things right, helping to bring your kingdom here. We pray that every Sunday in your prayer. But help us to commit ourselves to doing that all the more here in this place and out there where we need to be. Help us to jump into the current full force in a robust fashion, in an unapologetic fashion, a dangerous fashion so that we can be radical saints for you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.